All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the GT Power Hour. Hello and welcome back everybody to our 28th episode and final show for this year in 2021. It's early December still and perhaps now forever in the time of COVID, but there are signs that the spring will bring reemergence of more than just nature this year. PJM has committed as of now, to reestablishing at least some of its in-person meetings in the first quarter. But just as COVID may be here to stay, so too could be market upheaval as we're set to enter 2022 with just as much uncertainty as last year. As is now our tradition, we'll be taking this episode to recap the year that was and look forward to the year that's coming up to try to encapsulate it all as accurately and concisely as we can. I'm your host, Rory Sweeney, and with me as always is Glenn Thomas. Glenn, Among other things, the pandemic has starkly divided those who prefer working from home from those who apparently enjoy schlepping to an office every day. (laughs) What have you heard from clients about their interest in getting back to in-person meetings at PJM? Yeah, good question. I think it's mixed. I mean, that's for sure. I think there is some desire for some folks to get back and start seeing people and having those hallway conversations and, you know, loading up on the brownies and cookies that PJM (laughs) provides. but. Um, Tell me about that. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think people are going to go back to the days of going to PJM four or five days a week, though. I just don't see that that happening. But I think, you know, in a, in a weird sort of way, uh, a lot of us, you know, just long for the days of just being able to get out and mm-hmm. sit in a PJM stakeholder meeting mm-hmm. and have a nice lunch with some colleagues and you know, enjoy some hallway banter. So well, I think it'll come back a little bit, but probably not to the degree it was. You know, the, the, that PJM homeless contingency won't, won't necessarily happen like it used to. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I mean, I, I know at least a few f- uh, folks who will very quickly probably go back to doing that just because they, they always do. And I've heard that I've heard from them that they kind of want to. Uh, one thing that, that I have found through this entire process is that I, uh, apparently my uh, antisocial leanings are, are, are very strong because I keep hearing from people uh, about, oh, they're so excited to go back and, and uh, talk to people and just kind of have those in-person, you know, in-the-room chats and everything. And part of me is is just cringes at that to say, <laughs> oh, I don't know, a phone call is just as good. But I, I totally get it. Uh, there are there are a lot of people for whom um, pushing just to have that in person uh, interaction uh, is is something they just they just want to do. And and uh, and as much as PJM is, I mean, you know, this as much as PJM is a, it's all about business. Um, there are very strong relationships that get built there, um, and not just a PJM. I mean, any sort of like political entity. I'm sure you had this at the right. PUC when you were there. Uh, you know, very they, they just relationships get built, and uh, that 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 transcends just sort of uh, the nine to five work that you're doing there. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Yeah. As I mentioned at the beginning, and I think we've kind of got this tradition now for our December episode where we kind of look back and then look forward a little bit. And uh, the procedure that we've put together for doing that is kind of uh, going back and forth with some top three uh, headlines from the year uh, that was to determine what really kind of 
uh, ran the show in 2021, and then maybe take a little bit of that to look at what we expect to happen next year. We want to get started doing that? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Okay. All righty. Well, uh, I'm the host, so you go first. What's your third uh, highest priority trend that occurred in 2021? Yeah, no, just maybe a little bit more background. So like I I went through and started to brainstorm what I thought the biggest stories of the year were in our in our little world, Rory. And uh, I came up with a, maybe a list of about seven or eight, and I called that down to, to three top stories. And uh, so I have a few honorable mentions that wow. you know, we can maybe okay. talk about a little later. But and also in the event that you and I repeat one, <laughs> and I, then I have like a little bullpen to go to in terms of, uh, you know, coming up with something to talk about. But let me um, and I hate I really, really, really hated to put this one on the list. Uh, but I think it's it's real. And I think we need to talk about it or at least mention it. Uh, but it is so energy nerdy. Like I said, I'm almost embarrassed to put it on here. But the emergence of Federal Power Act Section 205G got my third uh, third biggest story of the year um, title here. Let me explain what this is. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I know what you know. You had me until you said Section G, uh, Glenn, and and uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I got that far even. But uh, but then then you said Section G, and, I, and then you lost me. I, yeah, I have yeah. Not, haven't done and, that. And you'll quickly know where this, oh, okay. this, the, where this is. So Section 205G was actually only put in place three years ago. It was signed into law by President Trump as part of the America's Water Infrastructure Act of 2018, um, an act that contained a whole bunch of other provisions. But um, included in this piece of legislation was 205G, which was um, put in the legislation to deal with, with uh, the event that there were two two ties at FERC. Um, ah. It stemmed out of a New England situation where there were some capacity market results that couldn't get certified because the commission was split to two. So this 205G was put into law that basically says in the event that um, the commission is split to two, the filing by the public utility goes into effect. And like I said, it was, I don't think it was ever anticipated to, to apply to big items. In fact, Cheryl LaFleur put out a tweet exactly to that effect. Former FERC commissioner Cheryl LaFleur, just in Correct. case LaFleur, in case anyone wasn't sure who, who that was. Yeah, good point. Right, and former guest of the GT Power Hour. Also, so. also that, also that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I, I would love to get her thoughts on this one. But yeah. yeah, so as it relates to the Moper and the Southeast Energy Exchange Market, which basically was a... Um, a pretty pretty forward-looking proposal, uh, maybe not forward enough for some, but basically an establishment of bilateral energy markets in the southeast part of the United States where heretofore there have been none. So two very, very significant uh, proceedings, the MOPR proceeding at PJM, the SEAM proposal in the southeast that went into effect, that became law in this country without a FERC commission order. Um, the FERC was divided. They could not come to a conclusion, yet these pretty significant changes occurred. And um, this is this is an interesting precedent and it's a slippery slope. And I sure hope Congress steps in at some point and maybe fixes it. But, um, you know, if you think about the big stories of the year in 2021, this emergence of 205G and the ability of major policies to be implemented in this country as it relates to energy without an affirmative action of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, I think is a pretty significant development. Yeah, you're right. That's a pretty nifty little factoid, too. I didn't know that uh, I didn't realize the full history of the uh, 
of the um, implementation there and just how obviously how uh, impactful it has been this year with uh, you mentioned the seam, uh, but there, there have been others, right? There's been several in PJM that uh, have, have occurred in that way. Um, and, uh, and I will say that sort of the FERC focus uh, and the uh, uh, by operation of law that's that's occurred multiple times this year recently near the end of the year was also number three on my list, Glenn. So we have oh, already, interesting. Okay. We have already. I, I, I yeah. I, I took it from a a little bit of a different focus, but uh, or perspective, I suppose, to say that you know the, the focus is going to be on FERC again. I know we mentioned this last year, but um, everything is being pushed back to FERC. Uh, although I guess I guess now um, to a certain extent it's being pushed to courts because what's happening with a lot of these things is they were um, you know based on inaction uh, turned into law, and now we got to go to the judicial branch to uh, to hash it out, uh, which is is not necessarily the way it's you hope that it's going to go well and think about how this looks to the judicial branch too i mean normally FERC orders are getting appealed to the judiciary but now basically a FERC non-action something going to affect via operation of law is being appealed these are all untested and very uncomfortable waters yeah, it's interesting. Uh, recently at PJM, I guess it was the members committee meeting, a representative from the West Virginia Public Service Commission came and um, attempted to seek approval to participate in uh, the liaison committee, uh, which without getting into the, um, the minutia of the whole thing, is a committee that is intended to not be to, to be just members of PJM or just active uh, voting members of PJM and uh, and therefore commissions uh, are not intended to be uh, uh, part of the discussion process. And, and the liaison committee is intended to allow uh, voting members of PJM to interact directly and openly with the board of managers and kind of uh, enunciate their positions and not not fear that the things that they say may come back to bite them later on. Uh, and so as part of this, you know, they, they attempt to, to only include the people who are part of that discussion and attempt to keep, uh, limit external voices who, who may take that information and do something else with it. Anyway, um, the way that, that this all went down is West Virginia argued that, that the current PJM tariff uh, allows them to be part of these meetings and and but PJM told them that they had to go before the members committee and ask them whether this was okay and West Virginia argued well we know it's already okay because that's what the tariff says and so they wrote this very sort of um, in the negative form of a motion that they wanted the uh, members committee to consider and what the the what the members committee argued for quite some time in is that them as a body or as a as a um, a voting body should not be asked to vote on uh, something in the negative they should only be voting on proposals to do something not to not do something or to <laughs> otherwise avoid interesting something yeah and so this was a very big uh it went on for i don't know 45 minutes or so so to your point about the you know um having an affirmative decision or um making it a a uh, an affirmative action 
on these topics. I mean, it, it's not just limited to this. Um, uh, it's it's it, it was it's been a very yeah. big recent discussion at um, at PJM to to ensure that what we are doing is making decisions to do something, not to not do something or right, to otherwise. Right. Uh, and, and it gets into very confusing minutiae, but um, but it is a salient point. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the fundamental tenets of FERC jurisprudence is FERC speaks through its orders, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're not speaking through an order in either the Seam case or the Moper case, and those are two really big issues. So, yeah, what would, what would you consider them? I mean, is, that's not really a punt, right? It's a uh, what, what is that? Yeah, it's a non. I mean, it's 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 it's, a, it's what two hundred five. I mean, two hundred five G basically says here's you know, what the law that comes out of it is. Um, but like I said, it's, it, there are so many issues, so, so much hair on this thing. I, like I said, it really is a, is a, is a troubling precedent that, that mm -hmm. hopefully gets fixed. But like I said, it, it got applied in ways that folks probably didn't anticipate it applying. And now it's going to be up to the courts to, to shake, shake them out. I mean, the Moper's already on appeal. I haven't been following, following the scene proposal, but I have to imagine that's going to courts as well. So I'm, I'm almost certain it is. Yep. yep. More to come. So, so, so what was your number three technically? So, um, so technically my number three was the focus on FERC and essentially okay. the, um, the strategy that, that it seems that, that groups are using to sort of, um, uh, force top-down compliance with their preferred way of doing things or their, their preferences um, by shoehorning FERC jurisdiction on all states uh, and then leveraging that to, to promulgate whatever they're trying to do. So, you know, one of the concerns with the SEAM uh, 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 order going the way that it did by operation of law is that um, there's a concern that that, that um, when seem get, if seem gets implemented, it won't be able to be FERC jurisdictional, and therefore uh, there will never be like a southeastern RTO um, that FERC can have authority over and then force them to do things. So um, you know one one of the concerns with allowing seem to to come through is that they lose that strategy to force everything through FERC and do top down um, right. uh, command and control kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's great. That's interesting that we sort of narrowed in on the same issue. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and ironically, if you want me to move on to my number two? Yes, uh, please do. All right. Okay. Yeah, my, my number two has a FERC, uh, FERC flavor to it as well. And that is uh, the changing complexion at FERC. Um, Commissioner Chatterjee started the year uh, 2021. Uh, he left, uh, his term expired in June of 2021. And then um, he left in August. Uh, uh, Willie Phillips from the District of Columbia, Commissioner Willie Phillips, uh, was nominated, confirmed. And uh, at least as of this recording, uh, as far as I know, he hasn't put his hand on the Bible and taken that oath of office. But literally at any moment, he could become the uh, fifth sitting commissioner on FERC. And, you know, Willie's great. We've known Willie for years. Uh, you know, he's uh, in a lot of respects, the perfect guy for the job. So, you know, we wish him all the best and all the success down there. Uh, but I think the changing complexion of FERC is really significant and it feeds into like the issue we just talked about. These two, two ties, um, you know, are, are not healthy. Uh, hopefully they become a thing of the past, but I think it's going to take, uh, you know, one of the things I've, I know I've mentioned on this podcast and I've, I've observed through my whole regulatory career, one commissioner can make a huge difference uh, in terms of the complexion and the dynamics on any commission. 
And I think that's going to be particularly true um, with Willie's entry into FERC. And uh, not just because, of, you know, the, the, the political parties and affiliations and things like that, but just, you know, the style, the temperament. I mean, there's there's some pretty sharp divides on FERC right now. I know a lot of times uh, the commissioners like to, you know, sort of gloss over those and say maybe they aren't as deep as it certainly looks from the outside. But, you know, you can just see it in some of the writing and some of the dissents and some of the concurrences that, you know, there's some some fairly, at least what appear on the outside to be deep philosophical divisions there. And, um, you know, how Willie fits into that, how this new FERC learns to work together, um, you know, with five commissioners. Uh, we haven't had five commissioners like this. Uh, uh, well, that's not true. We have had five commissioners. But, you know, uh, with the advent of a new administration, new priorities coming off the hill, a new FERC to support it. I think, you know, this change of complexion at FERC uh, is one of the more significant stories. Actually, it's my number two most significant story coming out of 2021. So, the change of complexion at FERC is my number two. That's that's interesting. Uh, and, you know, if you paid any attention, anyone who paid any attention to sort of the uh, um, Commissioner Phillips's uh, confirmation hearing and the thing, you know, one of the things he mentioned, you know, he said all of the above strategy. He talked about three-legged stool. He talked about, you know, not being uh, beholden to any specific um, uh, ideologies and, and all of those things. Uh, and, 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 you know, and you hear all of that. And, and I, th I think we, we've heard a lot of commissioners say similar things when they're in their confirmation hearings. Let me ask you this. Are there any specific issues or um, topics that you think Commissioner Phillips's uh, opinion will change the course of what otherwise would might have happened in this iteration of FERC? Well, I mean, certainly you can look at the two, two ties that we've seen. Yeah. Uh, there's also several things that are sitting there that are ripe for decision. Um, I'm not sure I want to mention or can think of any off the top of my head, but <laughs> I mean, I know, I mean, there's just several complaints that are sitting down there, mm -hmm. you know, some things that don't have timelines on them that, you know, could be suffering from a two, two split internally. I think some of these infrastructure questions are going to be interesting. Um, you know, there's pretty sharp divisions among the commissioners as it relates to gas pipeline approval, you know, how to take account for, um, you know, uh, carbon emissions associated with their actions, things like that. So, and like I said, one commissioner can make a huge, huge change yeah. in the complexion here. And, you know, I, I think, I mean, Will, Will, Willie's smart enough, um, you know, he's been around this regulatory game uh, long enough. He knows sort of, I mean, how to play, it makes it sound so trivial, but I mean, he's in a position where, you know, he, he's going to have the ability to, you know, assert some of his, his views. Um, you know, chances are he's going to be in the majority a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I just have a feeling. And, you know, as a result, you know, he's going to be able to shape some policies. So yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he was terrific in his confirmation hearings. You know, the, the, the stool analogy is, is a very apt one. He talks about the balance, the perspective. Mm -hmm. That's all very, very positive things. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting when we're sitting here in December of 2022, you know, sort of reviewing the stories of the year and seeing, you know, how this this story played out in 2022. What's your number right. two? So my number two is a bit of a long bet, um, but I I wouldn't be surprised if 2020, if we look back on 2021 in the future and decide that it was the high watermark for RTOs and RTO participation. And so I guess my 2021 story number two 
is RTO, potential RTO ISO instability. You know, we've talked before about um, New Jersey has threatened leaving PJM and uh, on one side because they're not moving fast enough on certain things. And, and we've seen PJMs sort of get reformed through that and change in leadership and to be more uh, more responsive to states. But what we're finding on the other side of PJM and the other side of the footprint is now we've got states like West Virginia and Kentucky that are uh, saying, hold on, hold on, we, we're not trying to move that fast. What I suspect may eventually happen is that we come back and say that these two sides become unreconcilable. And we eventually have to come up with something other than the system that we currently have. Uh, and I, I referenced this uh, also uh, in, in MISO, um, because I don't know if you saw this news story came out a couple of uh, weeks ago at this point, uh, where Louisiana is apparently now the PSC down there is uh, apparently going to consider the idea of moving forward with exiting MISO. And largely it appears that uh, that is because they are concerned that they may get saddled with some of the costs for interconnecting um, the explosion of wind turbines in the northern plains there uh, that are part of MISO and, and they uh, are not sure that they're going to uh, get the benefit of, of what the cost will be. And so uh, my, my story is that when we look back uh, at 2021, we will say this was the height of RTO participation um, and that things couldn't be held together. Uh, and that the concern with that or that, that the, con um, the concerns with all of those differences uh, required that we come up with something new. I think you're, you're really onto something here, Rory, because I mean, what we're seeing like in PJM specifically, but it, I think we're seeing signs of this in other states uh, or other regions as well is these, these state policies are getting very, very hard to reconcile with each other into a single common market. Well, we were in the early stages of talking about you know, how to make PJM the wholesale market to support what we were trying to do at the retail end. And, and we talked about it on our last episode, the 25th anniversary of Pennsylvania's Competition Act. I mean, what was what was beautiful at that time uh, as it relates to energy policy is you know, New Jersey, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Delaware, to a certain extent, Ohio, um, were all headed in the direction of you know, trying to build these competitive retail markets. And in order to do that, you needed a wholesale market. The bigger, the better, the, the more opportunities to trade, the better opportunities to find better prices. I mean, the states were all largely rowing in the direction, and that is decidedly not happening now. Right. Um, you know, you have Illinois that is, is shutting down all its fossil yeah. units. You have yeah. New Jersey that's subsidizing more than it needs. Um, you have Maryland that's, you know, basically put out you know, put out some very aggressive goals and parameters. You know, and meanwhile, you know, you have Pennsylvania sitting there saying, you know, don't don't make me pay for your offshore wind transmission, New Jersey. Sure. I mean, if you want that to be your thing, that's your thing, but you shouldn't be able to do that. You also shouldn't be able to shut down gas plants in my state because I still believe in gas plants. So I, I this this is definitely going to play out in PJM um, this year um, and maybe in future years. Uh, FERC's going to have a lot to say about it, but. I think, you know, Vince Dwayne and, 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 uh, and my friend Tony Clark have written some about this, but mm -hmm. it's, getting, um, it's getting increasingly challenging to find the commonality that's binding these markets together. And uh, whether the political support continues, uh, and uh, Commissioner Christie, I should say, at FERC has, has talked about this at length, too. 
Um, I think these are all fair questions and ones that, quite honestly, we don't know the answer to yet. We, yeah, we really don't. We really don't. I, we've mentioned this in previous episodes or sort of touched on it, uh, at least this concept, and, and at least I have, um, is the idea yeah. that it seems to me that in previous years or earlier on, sort of in the primordial soup of uh, RTO-ISO development, there was a lot of gray area, you know, where each side could get what they wanted and, uh, and still benefit. And there was enough gray space in the middle that everybody benefited and, um, you know, you could trade, you could horse trade a little bit and, and still come out on top. And what we're finding now is that the margins are so slim that for one side to get benefit, it's a zero sum game such that someone somewhere is going to uh, have to give up that benefit for you to gain. And so, you know, we're now at the point where it's there's there are actual trade offs and that um, there, there's no longer this like um, fully mutually beneficial, no downside kind of things that that used to exist. And, and I feel were part of um how a lot of things got moved forward yeah I, th I think that that certainly exists and i think that's certainly part of it let me throw out something else that has changed as well that, that i think is adding to it as well and that is you know there's an emerging pattern and it actually goes back probably 10 15 years of of folks you know business entities who are frustrated by the results of wholesale markets and run to state policymakers for mm. relief. Yeah, good so point. Um, whether it was gas plants in New Jersey and Maryland in 2011, you know, nuclear plants, you know, in the last couple of years, renewables, offshore wind, whatever. I mean, certain technologies for whatever reason, um, you know, or projects for that matter. I mean, you know, sometimes you know projects just weren't economic. You know, Bloom Energy in Delaware. You know, let's go to the state and get some sort of you know, financial support that makes our what is now uneconomic enterprise economic. And, you know, states didn't say no to that. Um, and that gets tough to run a market when the motivation and the people who are winning in this market are those who are going out and getting, you know, state policies and subsidies that, that give them a leg up versus those that are in the market competing. So, um, yeah, I mean, that trend of running to state policymakers. And I mean, the arguments are all the same, right? You know, it's, it's jobs, it's environment, it's, um, you know, local economic activity, you know, technology, I mean, whatever, you know, goal you're pursuing, um, if you can manage to ship for, you know, an economic advantage that way, that, that's a trend that, that, that is, as has compounded or led to the acceleration of, I think, the concern you're identifying. Yeah, it's usually intended as an aspersion, but uh, there, I feel like there is some nugget of truth in the comment that the core competency for a lot of utilities is uh, their state political influence and, and what they're oh, able to absolutely. speak. Right, yeah. you know, and it's, it's not necessarily about being able to operate a, an efficient transmission system as much as it's about uh, being able to navigate the halls of your particular state capital. Yep. Um, okay, what do you got as your top one, Glenn? Yeah, this is interesting. I'm kind of curious if this is your number one as well, because okay. uh, we haven't yeah. said it yet. But my number one is the Texas uh, February cold weather. Oh, event. okay. So okay. you have a different number one? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's a little more general. Um, so I guess it could include this, but I think it's different. Okay. So yeah, go ahead. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, so I, I, Texas, I, the Texas February cold weather events, I mean, I mean, obviously they were awful. They were tragic. You know, 4.5 million people without power. You know, several hundred people died. 
pipes burst, infrastructure was damaged. I mean, just really tragic events that occurred in Texas um, for a variety of reasons. We had Kurt Morgan on the podcast. We got into this. We got Pat Wood on the podcast. We talked about it at length. But I think why it's one of the biggest stories, actually, it was my number one big story of the year is it, it reemphasized the importance of reliability. Um, and what happened in Texas was paid attention to all across the country. Um, people lost internationally jobs. Internationally even. I think it internationally. was internationally. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I had friends from Texas calling me, asking me questions about ERCOT. And I will tell you, these people didn't know what ERCOT was yeah. at the beginning of this year. And ERCOT, I mean, I was actually down in Texas um, in, in the March time frame, and, you know, ERCOT was all over the news. I mean, it was, you know, ERCOT's the equivalent of PJM in this region. So, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how quickly folks were reminded of uh, the importance of reliability. Um, and, and, you know, it, this happens periodically. We had, you know, the blackout when New York City got blacked out in 2003, you know, from time to time, we get these reminders. But, you know, Texas really, I think, for a lot of different reasons, is going to stand for a proposition of something that we can never let happen again. Um, a reemphasis on reliability cannot be taken for granted. And, um, you know, certainly electricity as a commodity for, for sustaining, you know, lifestyles and human life uh, got reemphasized. So that's my number one story for 2020, 2021. That's a good. That's a good one, Glenn. Because you're right. It was a very. Uh, I mean, it was it was a specific incident that just kept resonating throughout the year, uh, and I'm sure will continue to resonate. Just this past week or so, uh, the joint FERC NERC investigation on that the report has come out, and and um, you know they largely reiterated a lot of the things that we have already. Uh, we already sort of knew where the cause is, but it, you know it's it's important to um, reemphasize. We officially have uh, acknowledged this is these are the issues there. Uh, one of the things about the Texas incident that concerns me going forward, I suppose, is you know often what happens with these very public stories that come out of. Um, or these these sort of um, highly nuanced stories that explode into the public consciousness is that they don't come with all of the nuance that that is required to understand them uh, comprehensively. And what happens is, you know, in the society that we live in where sound bites matter, people make glib comments or uh, uh, come up with memes is now the thing today. And uh, the actual basis of what the concerns could be or should be uh, gets muddied in, in in the whole conversation, and um, and we lose clarity on what exactly went wrong. But I remember at the time uh, having some some non-energy expert friends, you know, contact me with this. I, I'm going to butcher the meme a little bit, but I believe it was like, "What's the difference between Texas and taxes?" And the answer was, uh, "Taxes keep the lights on." I believe. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it was something to that effect, but it, but it was like this idea that oh, this is why we need heavily state regulated markets. Um, this is why you know we need um, uh, you know heavy regulation all, all around on this, and and it sort of was an another argument against the idea of 
competitive markets and that if you allow competition to do what it does, it will uh, eventually fail uh, because that's that's what it's designed to do is to fail. Uh, and, and that sort of false narrative is one that becomes uh, increasingly and, and increasingly frustratingly hard to combat when these highly nuanced incidents break onto the national scene and, and uh, people are able to use them um, or able to take it, you know, take advantage of them to feed whatever narrative they're, they're hoping to do. And that was my one, that was one of the concerns I had about the Texas situation is it, it sort of has created a, a, another uh, talking point against competitive markets and for people who, who can kind of take it one way or the other, they're not really, um, they, they don't really know one way or the other and they don't necessarily really care. Uh, it just kind of says, okay, well, this is one reason why we, we shouldn't do that. And, and, you know, that, 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 the more you pile onto that, the harder it, it becomes to get up that mountain. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what's your number one? I'm kind of curious. Right. Okay. Well, so mine's, mine's a little more generalized than that. And I, I feel like it's probably just a continuation of last year and it's just market uncertainty in general. Uh, you know, we talked about, I believe, last year and throughout this year about how all the different markets within PJM, the capacity market, the energy market, congestion market, uh, the FTR, ARR uh, market, they're all of the different markets, ancillary services, regulation, uh, reserves, they're all in flux. You know, nothing is set in stone and they all kind of interact with each other. And as as we have continually found um, you know, you almost need to talk about all of it uh, comprehensively to be able to deal with any of it uh, individually. And we remain sort of in this flux status of nothing being set in stone and not being able to set anything in stone until something else is set in stone, um, which creates this, this paradox uh, that we continue to not have anything set in stone. And these uh, rules or these orders by operation of law that are now being sent to uh, the courts uh, f just further exacerbate that um, that uncertainty. Uh, and uh, here we go into 2022 with still not knowing what the markets are going to look like for the long term. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. 2020 was a very consequential year. 2021 was a very consequential year. And you get the feeling 2022 will be as well. And uh, yeah, I, I agree that you know, the, these, these markets are, are begging for certainty and it is just not there right yeah. now. Um, and it's, it's, it's a little bit on PJM. It's a little bit on FERC. It's a little bit on stakeholders. You know, everybody has uh, some responsibility here, but we, we got to get back um, to, to some of our fundamentals here. Um, if we got these, if we want the success to continue, because that's a frustrating thing. I mean, these markets have been very successful. I mean, they've, I mean, we heard that on our last cut podcast they've saved billions of dollars for consumers yeah. they've kept the lights on um you know prices are going to be up this year um they won't be up forever we know how these markets work they're cyclical um but we have to be able to sustain them and they're not going to be sustainable unless they can you know attract capital to them and the way to attract capital is with certainty and we don't have it right now i i couldn't agree more well, one of the one of the key things, one of the key points that you made there near the beginning, I think, is we need to get back to fundamentals. And part of the concern, as I see it, is that there's uh, 
either continues to be or is becoming a disagreement on what exactly those fundamentals are yep. and what what should we consider beneficial and what should be we be willing to pay for and uh what shouldn't we be willing to pay for we're, we're, we're still we're either still or we are becoming more in flux about what is considered a fundamental benefit that we all should want and be willing to pay for yeah i hear you well, that's a pretty good segue, I think, into uh, a little brief section on our 2022 preview, Glenn. So, uh, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit about it, but like 2022, what do you what do you what do you think the main headline is going to be going into next year? Yeah, well, I mean, just maybe a couple observations of the road ahead. I mean, I think, you know, just looking particularly as it relates to PJM, we got a lot of gubernatorial elections in PJM in 2022. Uh, certainly the ones in 2021, and this was actually one of my honorable mentions, you know, the New Jersey and Maryland, uh, or excuse me, the New Jersey and Virginia elections in 2021 mm-hmm. and what we saw there. But um, you have Maryland, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Ohio, uh, Michigan. I might be missing one or two. Delaware might be in there. I mean, there's there's several gubernatorial races in mm. um, in the PJM footprint in 2022. And I think energy is going to be more of an issue than it usually is just because prices are up and people are going to be paying more. I mean, they're certainly paying more at the pump. And once their their electricity and gas bills show up, they're going to be paying more for their utility services. So I think there's going to be a natural inclination to address some of these issues. And like I said, reliability after Texas is is a little bit more important than it used to be. And I think costs, uh, you know, once people see these bills going into election year, people are going to be paying attention. So you know, as I look to 2022, I look to see how those debates play out, how they start to shape things. Because when you look at some of the state policies that have been pursued, I mean, you know, certainly um, the Virginia the Virginia State Corporation Commission put, I think, about an $800 a year price tag on the Virginia Clean Economy Act. Um, the Illinois numbers uh, are, are still being debated. You know, I still, you know, we've been, I've been pretty vocal about some of the policies I've seen in New Jersey and how costly they're going to be. The, the, the consumers of that state. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I look to that in terms of FERC. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it at length earlier, but how, how this, this new team of five FERC uh, starts working together and putting out orders and, you know, where they take things from a philosophical perspective. Um, there's going to be a lot of money coming into the sector from the, um, the infrastructure act. Uh, I don't know how that works out. And then, you know, uh, these offshore wind discussions are going to happen. I mean, offshore wind, I think, will happen to some degree in the PJM footprint. Will it happen to the degree that uh, it's projected to? Um, I don't know. I, I probably would bet the under on that. But okay. um, Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think, just... You don't think New Jersey gets the 7,500 megawatts it's, it's looking uh, for? I, like I said, I would bet the under. Um, okay. And I think... You know, some of this transmission stuff is going to prove to be a lot more complicated, a lot more costly than it was ever anticipated to be. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the fishermen are already concerned about the waters. I mean, just sure. it, it just it is, you know, and that, that we're seeing that trend throughout the PJM footprint. I mean, a lot of a lot of I mean, PJM just put a filing the other day. I think it was 98 percent of the megawatts in the queue or projects in the queue. Of PJM are renewable projects. Um, so that's what you're seeing at the macro level. But then when you look down at the local level, um, these projects are starting to get resistance, you know, local communities expressing concerns. Um, transmission is always an issue. Um, you know, we're already starting to see that in some filings uh, that utilities are making saying, hey, it's going to be tough for us to meet these goals under these current rules. Dominion did that as related to the interconnection process. So, uh, yeah, I think that's something to watch as well. But 
in my mind, you know, like I said, the, the two things I'm going to be watching most are these statewide gubernatorial elections and uh, the dynamics. I prefer. To me, those are the two things to watch in 2022. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, this is interrelated, uh, interconnected, if you will, uh, because and, and perhaps it's one of the situations where um, you, you're you're often uh, very focused on sort of the uh, state and regional and, and national pol- political scenes and, and what's going on in the state capitals. And then obviously I'm uh, on a daily basis focused on markets. So it's potentially one of those situations where, uh, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But for me, uh, the the big 2022 story is going to be interconnection and transmission. And you, you hit on these yourself, um, but I look at them from a, a slightly different perspective in that like those things simmered this year um, because everything generally remained theoretical. But as you mentioned, um, as soon as real world numbers start to emerge, yep. you know, things are going to pop off and we're going to have people saying, whoa, hold on. That's like real dollars. Um, yep. and, and that combined with, you know, the inflation that we're, we're starting to see or not starting that we are seeing right now, which is just going to exacerbate um, these dollar figures uh, with, you know, the cost of materials and, and all of those things. Um, I really wonder, uh, while there's there's certainly consumer demand and drive for um, the, this continued transition uh, away from uh, thermal technologies and, and uh, fossil uh, fuel uh, technologies, um, as we start getting the, the, the bills in the mail, the invoices come, come due, uh, I, I have to wonder where it goes from there, whether people are going to, you know, hold the line or if they're going to say, okay, uh, yeah, I, I didn't note that in, uh, CJA, the, uh, Illinois bill, um, or a statute that, that went through, there is a uh, provision or there's a, a series of provisions in there to uh, sort of review it every five years and delay some of those phase out deadlines if it becomes a reliability or um, uh, otherwise a, a, an issue for keeping the lights on. Um, so, you know, uh, people, as much as um, they, they there's there's the interest in the clean energy attributes and the, and the other uh, sort of progressive changes to the industry moving forward, there still is at least an eye on reliability uh, because the, the main goal is, as we found out in Texas, keeping the lights on and uh, the heat. Yeah, although I would pose the question, if the policy of Illinois, as reflected in that act, was the policy of every single state in PJM, would we be reliable? Well, no, right? I mean, uh, it's, no, uh, I, I think you you would find you would find out that in the first that first five year analysis, uh, they would say, well, if, if we're all going to do this, it's not going to work. Um, right. And, and right. you know, and, but we've we've seen that. Um, isn't it that kind of one of the arguments for why a regional grid works? Because it does allow you to kind of push and pull and import and export and uh, allows some people to go forward while other people are kind of like uh, picking up the slack, right? It, it's if, if you work the numbers and, and it looks like you're okay with paying for what you want to do, then you can. Uh, and um, it looks like that they're going to be uh, um, paying for a lot of reliability, right? Or leaning on other states, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, exactly. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Right, right. Um, cool. All okay. Right. Let's do some hey, rapid fire. Let's do it. I'm going to come hot off the gates here. Glenn. Okay. Is Big Ben done? 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is his last year. Um, um, I, I, I'm surprised he's made it through this year. There's yeah, definitely yeah. Calls. He may not. He may not the way things are going. I, I, yeah. I mean, but who, who, who is? They don't have an understudy waiting. No, no. So no, they, I, mean, I think their quarterback next year is not on their team right now. I agree. So. I'm not sure who it is, um, but I don't. I agree. It's not there. Okay. All right. Speaking of Ben's, where's Ben Simmons right now? Oh, you, oh my gosh, you took one of mine. Okay, gonna, so. All right. Uh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to kind of parlay that uh, to, so where is he physically? Last I saw um, based on uh, some, some Twitter reconnaissance, uh, he was, he was taking, he was shooting buckets in, uh, uh in uh wachovia there so uh apparently you're showing your age it's wells fargo now wells fargo (laughs) wells fargo well you know i said earlier i uh day the other day i said spectrum and i'm like i know it's oh man what is the name of the place yeah yeah um yeah wells fargo you're right uh which which you know i i I have their stock you know i should i should remember (laughs) that uh yeah but he was he was shooting buckets of course it was like before a game and before any of the other teammates had come into the uh arena so is he back with the team it uh it's it's really hard to tell right well let let me ask my corollary on that sure does ben simmons play again in philly uh he does but for another team and he will hear a chorus of booze oh boy he will he will okay well that that i had a i had a follow-up there that says if not when does he play somewhere else yeah, that's a that's a better question. I don't yeah. know. I mean, uh, I, I think he man, I, I think slash hope he gets traded this year. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Philadelphia, I mean, Maury's made it pretty clear he's not going to trade him for a basket, uh, you know, a, a best uh, what do you call it, a bag of basketballs. Ba- yeah, I know um, what you mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he wants to get something and I don't know who would want him at this point. I mean, you know, he's been. Um, a cancer in the, the the Sixers locker room, and I'm not sure who would invite that into their organization. But you never know; stranger things have happened. So you know, well, so my third corollary to that is, sure. or won't he? Is this going to be a Le'Veon Bell situation where he just like doesn't really play in the league again? He's too young. Was he 22? He's 22. Like He's really young. 23, I mean, maybe. He's young. If if uh, if the Sixers stick to their guns uh, on taking the full four years if necessary and finding him as they do and he continues to dig in his his heels with not going anywhere i mean if this goes on for a season a season and a half i mean isn't that too long out of high level competitive basketball i mean it's going to take forever to get back in you know yeah. i mean i don't he, know I like he, a he's a 6'10 point guard yeah right you know who's you know, a def, you know defensive player of the year candidate he'll he, he can play basketball well, yeah. um will, will he learn how to shoot free throws i can't make any promises on that but you know he's he's an all-star i mean he's a good player um if he can get you know his his, his mental issues figured out he, he should be able to yeah. play in the nba so I, right. I think i think person i'll just say this i think personally there is still and it may be slim but there's still a chance that he shapes up a little bit and says takes a little bit of responsibility here and ends up playing again for philly maybe not for long but he takes the floor realizes that if he uh he needs to show something on the floor to get moved faster he does that does his best to get out and uh rehabilitates his image at least a little bit 
If he was smart, he would have done that already. Um, <laughs> he would have done great. that in May. He would have done it in June. He would have done it in July, August. He, he's had many opportunities to be smart. <sighs> well, and usually about- at every opportunity to be smart, he takes a different approach. Yeah. Well, Glenn, I don't, I don't know about you at 22, but I know me at 22 uh, would probably be acting exactly the way that Ben Simmons is acting. I don't know. Uh, uh, if, so- I, if, if I was getting paid $40 million at 22, I would hey. probably show up to work. I, hey, I, I mean, I hear you. I, I hear you, but I, I, I'm not All right. surprised. All right, what do you got next? Let, let me, uh, let's go to maybe a PJM question. What yep. have you missed most about in-person PJM meetings and what's your prediction on when you actually get back on campus? What have I missed most? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll say what I have missed most is the, uh, it may not sound like this, you know, when you're listening on the call, but there is so much that goes on in the room when you got like 40 people and some of the bigger meetings, you know, yeah. and there's like, it's like side caucuses going on. And, uh, you know, like, uh, they, people know there's going to be a meet, there's going to be a, um, a vote coming up. And so like five people leave the room to go discuss really fast. And, and you know, there's, there's so much extra, uh, 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 information that uh, you can pick up just watching what happens in the room um, that uh, that that's really intriguing now that's wonderful but the real answer is the breakfast omelets uh, there you which, go. <laughs> which are which are spectacular and I do miss those uh, though my waistline does not so there you um, go. yeah yeah so you get back there in January you think uh no no I so I believe that the first uh well so PJM has announced that they will begin doing, uh, you know, the big biggest meetings, the MRC and MC in person sometime in 2021. I believe they have said that the um, first one in person, I can't tell where I'm at. I I think they have said that the first one will be February, first quarter at least. So January, February, March, something like that. um, They're planning. And then I believe in the second quarter, they're going to start doing the standing committees, um, which will be, you know, the uh, uh, operating committee, the market implementation committee, the planning committee, and now the risk uh, management Research. committee. Um, yeah, so those will happen in, in uh, the second quarter if things uh, remain as they are and Omicron does not take over. Uh, yeah, and on that note, I mean, I noticed that they're requiring a vaccine mandate for anybody yeah. coming. Have they told the, asked how they, have you seen any signs of how they're going to enforce that or how they're going to monitor that? So they were asked that actually today uh, on today's uh, operating committee call and um, it's still kind of up in the air. Okay. Um, but uh, I believe, uh, so first of all, not only will it be on campus, but any PJM events that they hold off of campus. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I believe though they might end up doing what, you know, other things have, other um, uh, venues have done, which is, you know, you got to show your vaccination card. Uh, so just have it saved on your phone, like, um, like others do. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Here's my, here's my uh, industry related one for you, Glenn. Is coal fired generation done? Yeah, that was actually one of my uh, one of my uh, what do you call it? One of my uh, honorable mentions. Wow. Um, I, I mean, not yet is the answer, um, but I think it was worth noting that you know Keystone and Kanama announced, and I hope I don't butcher the date. I think they announced that they're closing in 2028 because of new wastewater rules. And Keystone and Connemar are two of the biggest coal, you know, fire generation facilities in Pennsylvania. And we've already seen, you know, some of the, the even, you know, the larger scale facilities, you know, close down. So I think the answer is not yet. 
Um, I think, you know, you talk to the planning folks at PJM and they, they worry a little about a world without coal, but, you know, certainly the economics are trending in the direction. We've seen a ton of coal retirements yet, um, uh, you know, uh, 10 years from now, are we sitting here without coal and PJM? Maybe. Um, but I certainly think at least in the short term and at least for purposes of the next couple of winters, um, we're going to, we're going to need that coal to keep the lights on. Yeah. Uh, there was a update uh, given today about the weekly inventories um, for coal and oil in PJM and, and um, the oil is kind of uh, did like a hump over the past um yeah, uh, a couple of months or a couple of weeks and crested a couple of uh, weeks ago. But the, the coal inventory has actually been progressively trending up. So, uh, yeah. you know, and it just goes to show how how much it, it is relied on uh, still, uh, as much as uh, people may not yeah. like that, it still is relied on. Yeah, but its role has diminished tremendously. I mean, right. you look at, you know, carbon emission reductions and Pennsylvania and Ohio lead the country in carbon emission reductions. So, you know, that's from the power sector. So, I mean, that's certainly a trend you know, that's, that's occurring, but, um, you know, in terms of totally being eliminated, not in the short term, I think is the answer. All right. Um, all right, let me do one more. Uh, all right. So what's the best thing you did in 2021 that you couldn't do in 2020 because of COVID? Best thing I did in 2021 that I couldn't do. 2020. What have I done in 2021? That's where I start. Um, you know, I guess I, I, I guess you could say uh, it's probably a little trite, but you know, the 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 political answer is you know having a fa- family holidays. Uh, you know, going to be able to see everybody and have everybody show up, or at least a, a majority of of them show up. Uh, you know, that that's 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 big. a good one. Yeah, you know, I couldn't do that. And, you know, I had to do like a, the explosion of Zoom uh, in uh, in 2020. Right. So that everyone was doing Zoom holidays. Uh, you know, being able to do that, I guess, is, uh, has been good. What do you got? Um, yeah, I thought about this one. I mean, I've, I've definitely enjoyed getting back to sporting events, but uh, I managed to catch mm. a Jimmy Buffett concert. Oh, in nice. August, yeah, and that concerts. was that was something, yeah. you know, I obviously didn't do it all in 2020. Um, which was a heck of a lot of fun. So yeah, just getting back out and doing things like that's been great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, you got you got. I don't even know why I would ask this. You you've got two minutes of advice for somebody, don't you, Glenn? All right. So my two minutes of advice this month is for some guy named Rory Sweeney. So uh, <laughs> our listeners may not be aware of this, but uh, Rory's about to tie the knot, um, become a married man, He's coming yeah. up on his uh, wedding here in January, and we. Uh, we wish him all the best and success and enjoy the, the wedding, enjoy the honeymoon, enjoy everything associated with it, even the parts that suck. And uh, yeah, just <laughs> congratulations and best wishes well, uh, to you and Kelly as you move forward in your new life together. Thank, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I will, I will do my best to even uh, appreciate the parts that suck. Uh, we are, uh, uh, we're, we're doing, uh, what Kelly likes to refer to now as a mini moon, uh, still because of the pandemic situation. So we're not doing the major international travel that we, that we were uh, hoping to do. Maybe we'll put that off for uh, a little bit, maybe do it, uh, uh, in the future. Uh, we'll do a little, little something, um, but, uh, but not the big plan, but yeah, no, we are, uh, 
We are excited to do that. The pandemic has certainly thrown a little bit of a, a lot of a wrinkle into all of this, but uh, it's, uh, it's certainly more of an enjoyable process than I ever imagined it might have been. Uh, and uh, for those people who know me, that's probably saying a lot. So well, you're uh, off to a great start and one day you'll get to enjoy that full moon, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because at, at one point I had considered giving uh, Glenn Thomas some, some advice, <laughs> but I, I, I couldn't not take the bait of you know here we are it's 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 been a while since i've addressed my former full-time and now i suppose mostly part-time colleagues in the media and there's just no better time than the festivist season to air grievances so they're back on my radar and here we go this won't take two minutes but it's it was my hope that as energy issues take a greater priority in the public discourse as we've seen in, in recent years and um, understanding that you know you just can't plunk a, a wind turbine in the ground and and then everybody's got uh, uh, renewable energy you know that journalists, and I'm using my air quotes here, would rise to the occasion of discussing the issues with greater nuance and in better context to enunciate the delicate balances and trade-offs of the market and just uh, the energy um, system that we have here in the U.S. and in the world in general. Uh, Alas, that doesn't seem to be happening. To me, it feels like the criticisms of previous balanced reporting uh, again, air quotes, on climate issues have permeated the media landscape, which is now flooded more than ever with young voices seemingly embarrassed by the sins of their forebears, all trying to gain prominence or clout, as the kids call it these days, or followers or reach or whatever you choose to call it by fighting to be ever more influential. My advice, as always, is stick to the facts and not just the facts that fit your desired narrative but all of them, and let that lead you to the actual narrative on what's going on. And more often than not, I guarantee that your audience will appreciate understanding the actual situation and everything that is going into, all the factors that are going into what's happening before them, in front of them, so that they can understand all of the changes as they occur rather than trying to force narratives upon people. This is, we've talked about this before. This is where the whole fake news backlash came from. This is where the whole uh, uh, argument against mainstream media happened. And I'm not sure that we have learned that lesson yet. And I will keep ringing this bell and hopefully eventually the, the media industry will pick up on it and decide that what really works best is just figuring out what the truth is what narrative best encompasses all of the facts that you have and explaining it to people in a way that does just that. So that's my two minutes, Glenn. Excellent. Makes so much sense. Seems so simple. Why can't we just do it? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I read these articles and I just, I, they, they, they drive me up a wall all the time. Yeah. I'm and, with you. Uh, and uh, you know, it, 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 it is what it is anyway. Uh, well, uh, any final thoughts, Glenn? Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks I for joining I, us. I thanks for a terrific it. career. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's another uh, more or less hour in the books for us. Uh, thanks, as always, to our audience for spending another year with us. And until next time, as always, be excellent to each other.
Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the GT Power Hour. The views expressed on the show represent those of the hosts, and not necessarily any GT Power Group client. For more information, please visit www.gtpowergroup.com. That's G-T-P-O-W-E-R-G-R-O-U-P.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.